This episode is brought to you by Arches and Halos. Between being on Zoom calls all day, having to wear a mask everywhere, and now using your eyes and your eyes only to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes. Arches and Halos is our favorite line of brow products that are so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, you can have the most amazing brows ever. They have an amazing range of products from tweezers, razors, pencils, pomade, mousses, and gels. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos, professional brow grooming. Be bold, be you. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. I'm Molly. So, Molly, you know, you and I both enjoy the tabloid magazine every now and then. I, I think, do love some gossip. I think that's safe to admit. Yeah, yes. we, we read a lot of... We read a lot of research and very you know, books, credible information, and every now and then, you know, we just need a little little brain relief mm-hmm. in the form of tabloids. And I think one of our favorite parts of those tabloids, if I may speak for you, Molly, you may the celebrity photo analysis oh, of the body language, the body language analysis. Yes, is this couple really in love, yes. or are they headed for Splitsville? Right, Justin Timberlake, Jessica Biel sitting at the Knicks game. He's turned away. She's looking forward. Doesn't look very good. I know. I love that. Yeah, because I feel like it is just. I mean, it's ran- they're they are random photographs taken, you know, at a random moment in time, uh, and so I think they're it's total bunk. I like to believe in them. Yeah, you put full stock in that. Well, you know, the, they always make a really good case for them not really being in sync. Oh. Not to, that wasn't even a pun for Justin oh, well. Timberlake, but you know, that's that's what they always come. That's the conclusion. That's the worst conclusion a celebrity couple could hear in their photo analysis mm-hmm. is they are not in sync. Yeah, they shall not last. Yeah, they need some synchronization. Um, so we decided to do a little bit of research on body language to find out if there really is anything. To all of this, if mm-hmm. our if our bodies really do communicate what's going on in our hearts and minds. And the first thing that I ran across was a recent article in the New York Times by Natalie Angier about a field of study, a pretty robust field of study now called embodied cognition, which is basically the concept that your uh, brain, we, we communicate what's going on in our brain and how we process language. Uh, through physical movement. Like there was a study that was published in Psychological Science that uh, found that when participants were thinking about the past, reflecting on the past, they would lean slightly backward, whereas when they were asked to project on the future, their movement would go forward. And that article was full of examples uh, of ways that your body just is affecting your thought process mm-hmm. and, and vice versa. Like I liked the one, uh, the example from this article about students who were holding a warm beverage and students that were holding a cold beverage. And all the students were asked to evaluate whether the people they were seeing, this hypothetical person, uh, had a warm personality or was, you know, kind of standoffish. And the beverages they held corresponded with their opinion of the person. So if mm-hmm. they were holding like, you know, a cup of coffee, they were like, oh, this person seems nice enough, warm hearted. Yeah. I get to know them. 
And similarly, in a related study, the participants were asked to hold a heavier object and a lighter object. And when they were holding the heavier object, they tended to give more weight or importance to whatever person or thing they were asked to judge. Mm-hmm. So it seems like if, you know, you're not taking your job seriously enough, you just need a heavier bag to carry around. Yeah. Because then you'll be like, wow, I'm really being weighed down. Or maybe just ask next time you're in the elevator with your boss, Mm -hmm. ask if he can hold your bag for a little while. (laughs) And then ask for a review. Yeah. And then be like, wow, this person's important. Yeah. Maybe I should do that. Anyway. But I think that that's what that article illustrated is all these ways we're not even thinking about. Mm -hmm. We're being subtly influenced by things that our body is doing. So in the early 20th century, a guy named Rudolf Laban sort of took this idea of the connection between the brain and the body and put it in the reverse of what we're talking about and decided to look at and analyze body movement to then interpret what was going on in our minds mm-hmm. and also how that, uh, what that communicated about our personalities. And so he developed these things called Laban movement analyses, which, uh, he basically described people's movements based on two categories of space, harmony, and effort. And there's no need to really like go into the specifics of what it is. Um, if only to say that, uh, he just looked at how people's bodies, like we move our bodies intentionally through through space. And, and the example that kind of made sense to me uh, was one from the last presidential campaign, where if a candidate leaned on a podium, mm-hmm. it really showed that they were taking up space in relation to the podium. That would be like the space harmony part. Yeah. And showing like, I need the support of this podium. Right. Cry for support, which makes sense for a presidential candidate to say, I need your support. Thus, I'm leaning on this podium. Right. And then, you know, for another example, uh, they were talking about uh, Hillary Clinton and they were saying that she makes good forming or shaping motions when her body would mold a space as if wrapping itself around an object. And in that way, she kind of shows her assertion, Mm -hmm. you know, because probably as, you know, the female candidate, she needed to show a little more assertive behavior when she was standing up next to men. Mm -hmm. So, you need 500 hours of training to become the, a Laban certified movement analyst. But really, I think that a lot of body language is, is pretty self-explanatory and obvious. Yeah, it's really um, intuitive. And I think the most basic example is something that my mom always did tell me is in a job interview to always go in and have a nice, firm handshake. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what was interesting to me is we were looking at some body language basics from WebMD, and it's not so much the grip and the strength of your your shake. It's all about palm to palm. Yeah, evidently, the, making the palm to palm contact is even more significant than your grip because it expresses an intention of honesty and openness. Because right. you're making that physical contact. So the limp handshake. It's not so much a matter of you know not shaking vigorously enough. It's just you probably haven't gotten. The hand-to-hand contact. Mm-hmm. That's what's really important. Yeah. You don't want to make, you don't want to create that distance. No. You want to say, I'm, I'm here and I'm open. I'm here. I will do that work I for will. the right amount of money. Exactly. And when you're making those kind of demands, well, one thing, you know, in this job interview setting, which is a great example of when body language is really important, eye contact. It's all about eye contact. You don't want to be, have some kind of death stare on whoever's interviewing you because then that just gets uncomfortable. But you definitely want to maintain eye contact like I'm doing with you right now. Molly. I know. I, I wish this was a time when you guys could see us in the studio. I know, cause we, we're kind of having a stare down. Kristen's eye contact is, I just broke it because I was getting uncomfortable. That's I'm <laughs> therefore the more assertive and dominant. 
Oh, there's so many things I could say right there. <laughs> um, let's talk about another thing. Mirroring image. Yes. Mirroring images. Like, right now I kind of have my head tilted to the side. I'm kind of hoping Kristen will do it too because it'll show that we're really, you know, on the really same page. Really sync. Yeah, because we're both leaning on, on the table right now. And a lot of body language experts will say that mirroring, when you naturally fall into a pattern of mirroring the person's, uh, the other person's movements, it's a sign of, you know, rapport. Which is one of those big things you'll hear about in those tabloid photo spreads mm-hmm. we were talking about earlier. You know, if the if the celebrities happen to be walking together and one of them stepping forward with the right foot and one of them stepping forward with the left foot, woe unto you, celebrity couple. Should be walking in sync, people. I hope you have decided who is keeping all the jewelry and bling because you are not, you shall not last. But Molly... You're talking about established couples true, who may or may not be out of step, literally or metaphorically. Mm-hmm. But before that even happens, body language plays, I would say, a far more important role with initial attraction. Initial. So shifting gears here. So let's back up to those days of first dates, first glances, first glances perhaps yeah. even the initial meeting. What can you tell about... A fella or a lady when you're in the bar looking to to meet some people. Now, Molly, I think what you're referring to, at least in in our situation, our personal situations, would be something that scientists refer to as heterosexual relationship initiation processes. Or as I've decided to call it, H-RIP. H-RIP. Yeah, heterosexual relationship initiation process is just a highfalutin language. For flirtation. Yes. Among, obviously, heterosexual people. Right, which is who most of the studies have focused on. So, how are we going to start the H-RIP? Well, H-RIP starts with something called the approach. You have to, obviously, someone has to approach the other person in order to get the ball rolling. Now, there are numerous studies on a trip and the body language that is inherent within them. Yeah. Basically what the one thing to me that the studies agree on and everything after that is a little confusing to me and I may have been doing everything completely wrong up to this point. They do agree on the fact that the woman has to essentially invite the male over with her eyes. Yes. Because one thing to remember about these about the old H rip, as we're calling it, is that it's all pretty much nonverbal communication. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't just call across the bar like, hey, dude, hey, a cute guy, hey, cute guy over here, single. <laughs> Although it would be kind of nice if that would work. I mean, there is an argument to be made that we all need to be a little bit more direct, a little more assertive. <laughs> but anyway, yes, it all starts with the first nonverbal communication that, that you will probably have with your potential lover. Is the, is the old eye glance. Right. And it all depends on the woman. And this was something I thought was kind of surprising from these studies. As there was uh, one uh, by Monica Moore that was published in the journal Semiotica. Mm-hmm. And she analyzed bar conversations between male and female strangers. And she found that men would only approach a woman in a bar who he didn't know after the woman had initiated some kind of glance. Mm -hmm. Like a guy's not going to kind of see your profile, you know, and you haven't really noticed him and he's just going to pop up. Like, hey, (laughs) you can't just be like a pretty girl wearing an interesting shirt and he's going to be like, oh, I'm going to talk to that girl about the shirt. Yeah. 
you gotta, you've gotta, you gotta take it into your own hands. Yeah, and this whole eye contact process has been uh, analyzed and, and broken down as well. And it usually comes with something, at least on the female part, it usually comes with something called the head cant. Yes. Which is Kristen's new favorite term. Yes, my new favorite. I'm going to try to bring up head canting as much as possible. Describe a head cant for us. Well, a head cant is basically the slow tilt of the head, which would reveal your soft, sensuous, inviting neck mm-hmm. to a man accompanied by a sidelong glance. Yes. And usually a little bit of a smile. Not a full-on grin, no, but just... Just perhaps a little hint of a smile. Well, see, now this is to me where things start to get confusing because one of the studies said that the slow smile is the best way to bring a man into your lair. <laughs> and, you know, it can't be like a really like big grin. It's got to be like this really slow building. But not too slow because <laughs> Molly just gave me quite a head cant. Gave <laughs> her some crazy ass. <laughs> crazy head cant. But that's the thing, Molly, we have to remember this is, we're talking about a glance here. If you, if your smile is too prolonged, that means you're staring and that means you're creepy. <laughs> I know, that's, it's such a fine line. It is such a fine line. And I, but I think, I think that we have a little, some timeline guidance just to show how, how brief these smiles are. In one study that I ran across, this is a study from 2007, the long onset smile, Molly, that you're referring to, only lasts about half a second for you to form this smile. So not, not that <laughs> Cheshire Cat grin that you're unfurling right now. I'm doing my best. I wish you guys could see this. It's great. Oh, uh, this is probably why I'm in the bar trying to pick up guys. It's not working for me. <laughs> But apparently it's a universal language because they went to Africa and saw the same smiles and head cants. Yeah, women in African tribes were doing the same thing, same kind of head cants towards toward men that they were attracted to. And in fact, they've done studies where they've had uh, both men and women watch videos of that initial glance and meeting. And both men and women are equally good at telling whether the relationship is going to last or go somewhere, if they're into each other, basically. Mm-hmm. Um by watching the video. So it is, it is the universal language. But once, once the head can is over, cause this is a very brief, this is a fleeting moment that we're talking about. After that, things start to get a little more complicated because let's say that everything has gone well. You have ha- head canted in a very alluring way and he has worked up the guts or possibly the liquid courage mm-hmm. to, you know, amble over to your table. To accept your eyes invitations. To say hello, tip his hat. And then the body language gets a little trickier. Because, according to these studies, men can be very deceptive with their body language. Yes, men overall will display more obvious body language in terms of attraction. Mm-hmm. He'll show more more obvious signs that, that he's, he's digging on you. But it can also be more deceptive. And women tend to mask their um, outward signs of attraction initially because, according to evolutionary psychology, there's more at risk for us. We don't want to just jump in because if we just jump in too fast, we might have, you know, brought home some guy who's just going to up and leave the next day. And then what are we going to do? Plus, guys are creepy. Yes. Some of them. And dangerous. Um, In fact, that study I was talking about where they watched the videotapes, they really couldn't tell if the female was interested until the last half of the tape. If they were watching, let's say, 10 minutes, 
of a male and a female interacting, they would say that the woman only started to really show this kind of body language minutes like five through ten, mm-hmm. the last half of the conversation. Um, and women really kind of do get the short on the stick because they smile more often already mm-hmm. in conversation. So one study said that men are more likely to think that, you know, women are just superficial and their, their signs during that initial meet and greet are too confusing and can't tell if they're into you. Yeah. Cause we might seem more outwardly friendly, mm-hmm. but in our heads we're like, I'm not going to call you. I don't like you. Go away. Sorry. But Molly, perhaps since we, we have that window, that kind of ambiguous window as women mm-hmm. when we're sort of we're evaluating in our head. Yeah. We're quickly evaluating in our head, which I think a lot of it is kind of unconscious anyway, but maybe that's where the men kind of jump in and might be a little more deceptive in that window to kind of market themselves a little more aggressively Mm -hmm. to break through our our walls, break down our walls. Do you have an example? Well, Molly, I have a study, which is even better, is as good or better than a example. And this is from this is an older study from the Netherlands. And they found that and I guess this is sort of deception on both ends and presenting themselves. Men will emphasize more traditionally female-valued traits, mm-hmm. whereas women, on the flip side, tend to, um, if they're into the guy, will uh, emphasize their more male-valued characteristics. So maybe we're both tricking each other. But that might be after, that might come after the, you know, after that window, once the woman has decided that she is going to headcant her way into his heart. Well, I think it's interesting. I think that male-dominated behavior, let's take the concept of dominance, Mm -hmm. because that came up in a lot of these studies we read. And one study called The Courtship Dance uh, talked about how that men don't necessarily like the dominant female, but they will allow her to be dominant in order to get her interest. Mm -hmm. So maybe it is what you're talking about with that deception. Like, you kind of back off your... Your dominant male role. Right, because uh, studies have also shown that men who are interested will keep their body in an open position, you know, a, a vulnerable position saying, hey, I'm inviting, I'm I'm caring. I'm you know? cuddly. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to be dominant. But then on the first date, if a man is really attracted to this woman and wants it to go somewhere, he's probably going to dominate the conversation. Chances are he's going yes. to lead the conversation. Yes. So he reasserts himself. The dominance comes back. WebMD says that women should just make eye contact and listen. Thank you, WebMD. (laughs) Those little nuggets. (laughs) So if you're making, I don't know, it seems like such weird dating advice to give, but if you're making too much conversation on the first date, ladies, maybe he's not that interested. Maybe he's just not that into you. Oh, but see, that's where it gets confusing. Some of these things are very contradictory. They're very contradictory, but I think that we can... We can't boil it down to, to some things. It all starts with the eye contact. Mm-hmm. You make women 70% of the time, women may initiate that, initiate that gaze. Mm-hmm. He picks it up, comes over. Slow smile. Slow smile, little, little head can't. He likes, he likes what you're tossing. So he comes over, makes the contact, you know, open position. Shows the open body. Yeah, if he's open body. Uh, if his hand well. points to his stomach, is that it, Kristen? Yeah, usually he will um, he will position his arms to draw your attention to his lower abdomen. <laughs> okay, okay, and then it's up to the woman to 
lead this process coming back to synchronization. Yeah. So then the goal, according to some theorists of the A trip, is basically that your bodies will look like mirror images. Mm-hmm. But what some of these studies have said is that is actually not true. It's not the ultimate goal. Yeah, you're not necessarily going to fall exactly. <laughs> if you're sitting there with beers, you're going to be <laughs> lifting the beers up to your lips at the same time. I mean, it's not creepy and robotic like that, but it does seem like women will, I guess, initiate the synchronization process and men will kind of have to uh, mirror whatever they're doing, kind of take their cues, mm-hmm. if you will. So what this means for my main interest, which is, of course, celebrities, is if they do take a photo of a person at a random time and they aren't completely in sync, it does not mean that love has disappeared from the relationship. Right. Uh, Because going back to the courtship dance study, which you mentioned, uh, the introduction points out uh, that one study showed that people perceive others as more similar to them when their behaviors are congruent. And obviously you can't can't take a picture of, you know, their inner behaviors. Um, and people who can't sh- you, can't <laughs> you them? and people who show similar postures are judged to ha- have a higher rapport. So maybe it's not so much about, you know, these like mirroring movements, but comparing, comparing their postures, mm-hmm. you know, how are you when you're, when you're facing each other? So one person sitting up straight in the more dominant posture and the other person's slumping back. Disinterested. Disinterested. Mm. Mm. So that. there are ways that we can lean our body towards each other that does indicate attraction and interest. Mm-hmm. And I, for one, plan to master the art of the head cant as soon as possible. I'm just going to start slowly with the slow smile. That's nice. Yeah, that's that. a good. She just said a good head can. She made a head can't into a head can. Oh, if you will. Really. Well, I think that we have possibly thoroughly confused everyone with the very complicated language of, of the, body. the body. Um, but it, it, it's cool stuff to look at there because there have been all these studies done and they have found it's a cross species mm-hmm. sign of attraction that all animals will exhibit. And I will say it's been interesting to read these studies where they try and break down something as simple as a glance into this very complicated process. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and that goes back to the original Nellie and Gier arc we were talking about. It's just how things we're not even conscious of are influencing us. Yeah, and I also say, too, take heart, women. It might, it might seem like the guys have all the power in this dating situation, but just remember, 70% of the time, it's your eyes us. invite him over. Yeah. So there you go. Sounds good. Take it or leave it. Let's move on to listener mail. Okay. I have one here from Tio in California, and he says, I thought I'd pass along a bit of interesting news regarding comics and graphic novels. Marvel Comics is releasing a three-issue anthology series called Girl Comics, which is written, drawn, inked, colored, edited, and completely done by only female creators within the industry. The first issue ships... On March 3rd, which was actually yesterday, so March 3rd is probably long gone to you listeners out there. And it might be a good way for people who have been curious to experience some fun comics made only by girls in an industry that's mostly male-dominated. So I thought I'd try to spread the word because these t- there are talented ladies out there making great comics and graphic novels and hopefully help people understand that there are girls who love the medium just as much as any boy does. And also, if you could get a shout-out to my girlfriend, Katie Graves... That would be awesome. So Katie Graves, 
Here's to you. <laughs> All right, I've got an email from Deanna, who, um, and actually a few other listeners have written in about this as well, but I just happen to have Deanna's email in front of me. And this is in relation to some listener mail we, we read about um, deodorant and body odor internationally. And uh, so Deanna writes, body odor is real. Have you ever spent three hours locked in a classroom of preteens after gym class? There are plenty who have not been introduced to deodorant, and I can tell you that the smell is something to be feared. Just ask any middle school or junior high teacher. They'll tell you. But race plays a part as well. I spent two years in a large school that was taught predominantly by Koreans, and I can tell you that in addition to growing less body hair, they also have less glands present in their body that cause body odor. One of my teachers actually discussed this with me at length, as she neither has to shave her legs or armpits, but can also forego deodorant altogether. Her insistence that this was based on her race led me to dig around online, and what I found is this. Asians have the smallest of apocrine glands, which are what cause body odor, and approximately 50% of them don't have any of these glands at all. Caucasians and Hispanics have a middling size, and African Africans and African Americans have the largest size of these glands, which can cause a stronger smell. So that just clarifies a bit uh, an email we got about race and deodorant. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, thanks for writing in. And if you would like to send us your thoughts, shoot us an email at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And during the week, you should check out our blog. It's called How To Stuff. And you can find it and other articles written by yours truly and the lovely Molly Edmonds on HowStuffWorks. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Hi, I'm Amy Nelson. And I'm Sam Edis. We're the hosts of iHeart's newest podcast, What's Her Story with Sam and Amy? We both have our own businesses, and between us, we have seven children. And since the moment we met, we've been sharing our stories with each other. The thing is, we all know the stories of industry titans like Bezos and Jobs, but the stories of women, they remain incomplete. We ask questions no one else even touches. We are not afraid to get personal. So listen to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. In this time of pandemic and revolution, do you find yourself frustrated at high levels of corruption and inequality, at our inability to get basic things done, at the persistence of systemic racism? You're not alone. I'm Baratunde Thurston, author, activist, and comedian. Our democratic experiment is at a tipping point, but which way we tip is up to us. Listen to How to Citizen with Baratunde on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.